Philippians chapter 1, let me turn there. Uh, fortunately, it's not windy right now, but as soon as I start reading, it'll be windy, and my Bible will be flipping all over the place, I am sure. Philippians chapter 1, um, I want to read, read a couple verses concerning the gospel. One thing I've talked about the past really couple years uh, since I've been here is that I want our church to be gospel-centric, focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to expound a little bit more on that today. And even in another series, as we dive into the book of Acts, uh, we're going to start in the book of Acts next week, but in a future series in the book of Acts, we're going to dive a little bit more into what a gospel-centered life truly looks like. Because I, I really feel like, and, and really this is coming from myself as well, some things that I've read and some things that I've learned over the years of my own ministry and even since being here as a pastor, how, yes, we all understand the message of the gospel, that is, it is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but the gospel should shape our lives. And the gospel is the only thing that has the power to transform our lives. And Paul talked much about the gospel and about the transformation, about the power of the gospel. I think about Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, For I am not ashamed of what? Anybody? Anybody awake today? Of the gospel. He's not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God that worketh, and, and that power, that dunamis, that dynamite, it's that dynamite power of God. Uh, he, he hit on it a lot in Philippians chapter 1. I think there's five or six references that we'll look at here in just a minute that talk about the importance of the gospel and furthering the gospel and having faith for the gospel. So the gospel is very important. I'm reading a book right now just entitled Gospel, and it's about kind of reshaping our Christianity to understand that it's more than just the entry level. And I think a lot of people are like, well, I understand the gospel. It's about the entry level Christianity. You get saved. No, no, it's it's so much more than that, and I can't wait to expound a little bit more later in the message today, but it more so in future series is, or future series to try to help us understand what a truly gospel-centered life looks like. But remember, with everything going on in our society, with all the riots, with all of the, the rivalries and, and the fractious spirit that is going on, it is very important, I believe, to understand where our true identity lies. And as we hit on a little bit last week in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is addressing really what we are going through in our society today. He is addressing the situation of there is division. There is a that great wall of division with the Jews and the Gentiles, the Greeks, and, and different groups of people, different ethnic groups and cultures. And what, remember one thing we had talked about is, you know, the issue of race will always be an issue until Jesus Christ comes back, but it was never supposed to be because when God created the world, he created one race, the human race. And what we have done is we have rebelled against God's commands, against God's standards, and, and we have inputted what we want to input instead of actually allowing God to lead, follow his leadership, and do what he asks us to do. But when Paul was addressing this to the church at Ephesus back in Ephesians chapter 2, he said that Jesus Christ, remember, he came to break down that wall, right? To break down that wall of partition, that, that wall that was separating Jews and, and Greeks and Gentiles and, and really causing a lot of division, a lot of strife, a lot of turmoil uh, within, uh, within the, the different groups of people. And when Jesus Christ came, when he was 
put on the cross when he died, that death, and when he was buried and raised again from the dead, he came to break the chains. He came to tear down that wall. And what has happened since then, the past 2,000 years, is we have tried to build that wall back up. And honestly, we have succeeded in building that wall up again of creating walls and creating barriers where there should not be barriers. Instead of allowing the gospel to unify us, we have allowed our own message to disunify us. There's been a lot of division, a lot of strife, a lot of contention because of that. And one thing or a couple things that we hit on again briefly last week about all of these barriers that were put up, it's again, it's about understanding that corporate identity that we have in Jesus Christ. And, and just quickly, because it sets up today, you know, Paul revealed those three themes to us, that theme of alienation, understanding who we used to be. If you're saved today, if you're a child of God, you are no longer the person you were before Christ. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm very thankful for that. Now, I got saved at a young age, but I'm still thankful, not just for myself, but for many of you and many people that I've had the opportunity to lead to Christ and many people that I've seen led to Christ that lived a rough life before Christ. They were on a path that was really towards destruction. Jesus Christ came into their life and saved their soul and forever changed them. And they have a new course that has been charted. And Paul had talked about that alienation of understanding who you used to be. And it's very important to remember who we once were before Christ. But he also talked about that idea of reconciliation of what Christ has came to do, what Christ has done for me. He came to reconcile, which means to bring together. Jesus Christ came to bring the world together, to unite all cultures. It's not just a movement of black lives matter, or blue lives matter, or white lives matter, or this lives matter, or whatever. He came to reconcile and bring us all together. But again, what we have done is we have tried to separate we have caused division and strife and, and dissension, even within our churches. But Jesus Christ came to bring peace. And again, peace isn't the absence of trouble, but it's the presence of Christ. And it's all about the cross. It's the key to it all. And then I closed last week, which leads into the message this morning about our identification that Paul hit on. And that's who we have now become that our, identify, our identification, our identity should be in Jesus Christ. You see, having a gospel-centered identity is more about having a Christ-centered identity. And I've spent a lot of time in the past year and will continue to spend a lot of time because to me, it is a very serious issue today. You know, what we're trying to do to uh, fix all the problems in our society is we are trying to fix sin with more sin. But if you fix sin with more sin, it's only creating a vicious cycle. Fixing sin with more sin is only going to create more sin and more sin and more sin. And it's never going to stop. It's going to keep on going. And with all these fractious spirits and rivalries that are going on, all it's done, in my opinion, is that it's exposed our own insecurities. 
And because of this, people have become violently aggressive with their own opinion. To the point of, if you disagree with one side, then you're blasted, right? Then you're wrong. You can't have an opinion if it differs from someone else. But the same is true within our churches sometimes. It's very easy for us to to judge others that when they act like this and you can't even say anything to them because they're just going to blast you and how dare you and I can't believe you're you're like this. But we're the same in our churches. When someone differs at all from an opinion that we have, we do the same thing. We blast them. You see, to me, having the Christ-centered identity, a gospel-centered identity, is what brings us all together. It's what wraps us all together. And some of the issues that I believe that we're dealing with in our society and in our churches, I believe will be really washed away if we can truly understand who we are in Christ, what he came to do, and actually start acting like we are a Christian, living like we are a Christian, like Christ is truly in our lives. You know, people today are constantly seeking validation in their life. Validation can be defined as this, recognition or affirmation that a person or their feelings or opinions are valid or worthwhile. It's acknowledging and accepting someone for who they are. And I want to remind you quickly of three identities that I had talked about last March, back in 2019. The first identity that I think we see in our culture, this has kind of come from some things that I've read and some messages that I've listened to myself, but there's that traditional identity. And stay in Philippians, because we're going to read you that here in just a few minutes. There's that traditional identity. And in a traditional identity, what it is, it's this. It's others define me. We allow other people to define us. In every generation, there have been people ready to believe in Jesus Christ and give their lives to him. But the peer pressure of culture spoke louder than the truth of Jesus Christ. And their hearts were saying, I cannot lose myself to Jesus because my identity is found in my material gains and the recognition of others. But the problem with this is that others determine the standards Others determine the jobs that we have, the family, the relationships, the religious groups or churches. It's basically that idea of saying that you work from the outside in. Let's try to help us explain it and understand a little bit more, put it in the perspective of sports. If your identity is found in your athletic ability, then if a coach elevates you when you win, you're doing great. But if he benches you when you lose, you've fallen apart. You see, this type of identity is set up for failure because it's placing our identity in someone else's hands. It's allowing someone else to determine who we are. It's allowing someone else to determine whether or not we are successful or not. The second type of identity that I talked about was not just the traditional identity where others define me, but that modern identity where I define myself. In the modern identity message, it's this, your desires rule. Your feelings, your emotions dictate who you are. You have to listen to your heart and do what feels right. You have to be true to your feelings so that no one can tell you who you are. No one can define you but you. Go find yourself and self-identify however you want to self-identify. And and if you remember, if you were here last year, you remember that I did that little self-identification 
you know, illustration. I said, you know what, today I'm going to identify myself as a tree. Don't laugh at me because I am identifying myself today. They are self-identifying themselves as who they want to be. But it's funny. I mean, even some of the Hollywood celebrities like Amy Schumer, she said, you have to decide who you are and force the world to deal with you, not its idea of you. And this is what culture is telling us. But this self-identification is not liberating. It's actually burdensome. It's another never-ending vicious cycle that's always trying to recreate yourself because you identify as this, someone doesn't like that, so you have to re-identify yourself as something else later. And that's where we are today. People are trying to tell God who they are. And instead of allowing God to tell them who they are. God has already told us who we are. Ephesians is a treasure chest of riches of doctrinal truths, of understanding. It's become my favorite book of understanding who we are in Jesus Christ and what he came to do. But the truth is, as Christians, instead of listening to God's word, the whole counsel of God's word, instead of applying it, obeying the the, the, the precepts that are here, the commands that have been given, we kind of discount certain things. Well, that's not applicable for me today. You know what? The world has a loud voice, so I'm going to listen to what they say, and I'm going to pattern my life after them, but I guarantee it will never bring lasting happiness. It will never bring lasting joy because you're always going to be searching for a new identity, for others to to validate you. And even that that, uh, modern identity or traditional identity, they, they both kind of go hand in hand because even when you're defining yourself, you're still trying to seek others' approval and others' opinions and others' favor. And quickly, there are several problems with these types of identity structures. First of all, listen, it places feelings over facts. Our feelings fluctuate and often conflict. We don't even know what we want because our feelings are all over the place. One minute we like something or someone, the next minute we can't stand it or that person. It's kind of typical in even marriage structures today. Another thing is this, it leaves our soul exceedingly needy. It leaves our soul exceedingly needy. It leaves us hungry for validation We will demand validation, but we'll never have enough. We'll never be satisfied. Another thing is this. It is unbearably impossible. Traditional identity is about fitting in, and modern identity is about standing out. You have to stand out from everyone else. But there's a huge burden and great pressure to be different than everyone else. But then this point is very, very poignant with where we are today These types of identity are destructive to our community. And haven't we even seen that in and through our own culture in the past several weeks? People that are destroying their own community, the communities in which they live. This type of identity is less about trusting other people. We don't trust anyone else. We don't trust the law. We don't trust a person different than us, a different skin color than us. We don't trust them. They're not as good as I am. They don't believe in my cause. So because they don't believe in my cause, they're the enemy. But it's the antithesis to authentic biblical Christianity. 
And again, this type of identity that's destructive to our community, it's about everyone else sacrificing for you. You don't sacrifice for anyone else. But aren't we seeing that today? You don't make any sacrifices. They sacrifice for you. They listen to you or else we're going to go burn them down. But another thing about this is it's that it's also unavoidably built on comparison. And this, this creeps into the church as well. You know, instead of rejoicing with those that rejoice, weeping with those that weep, you know, being excited when someone genuinely has something exciting happen to them, they, they get a promotion, they get a new car, whatever it is, we become envious. We're not truly happy for others. They don't deserve that. I deserve it. <laughs> but really, it's an identity problem. You resent others who have things that you think you deserve. It's comparing that I'm better than everyone else. I should have what they have. They don't deserve it. So we have this modern identity, this traditional identity where others define us, where we define ourselves. But what we need to understand and understanding our true identity, and this is where I want to go a little bit deeper than I even went last year. We must have a gospel identity. And in a gospel identity, listen to this. It's not about others defining us. It's not about myself defining me. It's about Jesus defining me. In a gospel identity, Jesus Christ defines me. You see, what we need is more Christians truly living gospel-centered lives instead of me-centered lives. You know, look around today and you'll see Christians taking sides with what's going on in our world. <laughs> They've become passionate about a cause. You know, there's not anything necessarily wrong or evil with being passionate about something. But I know this is a preacher coming out of me, but shouldn't we be more passionate about the gospel? Shouldn't we be more passionate about our commission? Instead of some cause and painting something on our windows and, you know, protesting and doing all these really ridiculous things? Shouldn't we be more passionate about that? But sometimes even our, passionate, our passion is this. We're passionate about the people that are doing those things that we think is stupid. And again, we're missing the whole picture as a Christian. Okay, forget about that. Why don't we focus on the, their need to understand the gospel? Their need to understand who Jesus Christ is. Because it's not going to solve anything by us getting passionate and just blasting them because of their own stupidity and our own opinion. You see, this, this attitude is not really honoring to Christ. It's self-serving or self-centered. But that gospel identity where we allow Jesus to define us is what it's all about. Like what J.D. Greer said, he said, being able to articulate the gospel with accuracy is one thing, but having its truth captivate your soul is quite another. It's one thing about being able to say, I know what the gospel is. It's about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this earth and, and died for me on the cross and, and was buried and rose again. I understand that. It's more than that. It's about living a gospel-centered life. You see, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's more than just being compliant. Listen, compliant in our Christianity. 
As a truly committed follower of Jesus, we must become alive with a love and a passion for God. Why? Because we are commanded to love God. It's not a love me or else. You see, our love for God must grow out of an experience of the love that God has for us. I'm talking the love that God has for his children. You think about the overwhelming, relentless, never-ending, reckless love of Jesus Christ that he has towards his children. And because of that love, that never-ending love, that unconditional love, that's the love that we should have towards him and towards others. That's allowing the gospel to define us, to shape us, to reshape our lives. And in Philippians chapter 1, Paul references six aspects about the gospel. I just want to read them very quickly this morning. We'll continue this thought. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 5. You just kind of follow along with me. We're going to be jumping through this passage. Philippians 1, verse 5. It says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse number seven, it says, even as if it was meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart in so much as both of my bonds and in the defense and, commu- and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace. Verse number 12, but I would, you should understand brethren that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. And what he is referencing here is, you know, my imprisonment, everything that is, that is taken place in my life. You know, I don't necessarily like it, but it's happened. And this is the attitude that we need to have. No matter what has happened in your life, God has mostly orchestrated that. And we have the everything that's happened. Maybe some of it's my fault, maybe it's not, but it's happened. So maybe I can further the gospel. So I can reach more people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's the attitude that Paul had. Verse number 17. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of, of the gospel. We must be able to defend the gospel. And then verse number 27 of chapter 1, it says, "Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may he- hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel." I'm going to come back to that verse here in just a minute. But Paul knew about the gospel, the transformation that it had, not only in his life, but in the lives of so many others. And really, that's what it's about today, church. It's about understanding our true identity, who we are and what matters the most. You see, our culture today is trying to fix surface issues. And I've thought about this. You know, behavior is an issue. Anyone have your kids and you struggle with kids behaving? Anybody? All right, I'm glad I'm not alone. My kids are perfect right now because they're not here. But we all struggle with those behavioral issues. And even in our culture, I think the message is kind of that resounding. We have to fix behavioral issues. We have to change behavior. But changing behavior is not going to fix the problem. Because going at the behavior change is ignoring the root issue. It's like, and I've used this illustration before, it's like if your car is broken down, the, the engine is, is broken, it doesn't work, but I'm going to fix up the exterior. I'm going to fix up the surface and, and you know put everything new on it, and it's going to look amazing. 
And you might spend thousands upon thousands of dollars fixing up the surface of the car. But if you never worried about the interior, the engine, is the car going to drive? No, it's not. And that's what we do in our culture. We try to fix surface issues instead of getting to the root of the issue. Instead of getting to the heart of the issue. I think about behavioral issues. I can fix my own kids' behavioral issues. I can force them to behave. And I'm sure many parents here have forced your kids to behave, haven't you? At times, probably many of us, if not all of us. But by forcing your children to obey, they might obey, but if you continue to force that behavioral change, what do you think is going to happen in five or 10 or 15 or 20 years? What's that? They're going to rebel. And that's what we're seeing today, isn't it? Because we're trying to force a change instead of dealing with the heart of the issue. You know, for me, and I struggle with this just as much as anyone else, I got to force my kids, Nate and Noah, to obey me or obey their mom so they're not embarrassing me. But if I'm not dealing with the heart of the issue and teaching them and training them who Jesus Christ is and, and why we should obey, not for my benefit, but for his benefit, then they'll never understand it. And then they're going to eventually rebel. And I've seen that in good homes, in good Christians' homes. I've, I've seen it in, in pastors' homes. But if I teach them and train them based on God's love for them, then I've done my part. Listen, forced behavioral change will only create hypocrites. And that's what we have today, a bunch of hypocrites. It will and has created what's wrong with our society. And it's what leads to that traditional and modern identity, but it will never lead to a gospel identity. Again, gospel identity is allowing Jesus Christ to define us, but we cannot allow Jesus to properly define us, listen, if we aren't abiding in him. What does John say? Abide in me and my words in you, and you'll have much fruit. I know I missed that passage, but we have to abide in Jesus Christ. We have to have a fellowship with him, a close relationship with him. The truth of the gospel must move from your mind to your heart. And what our churches need is an awakening to the gospel. Because the truth is that for many Christians, Christianity has become a wearisome, burdensome religion. But Jesus Christ never came and intended Christianity to be wearisome, burdensome. <laughs> I like what Jonathan Edwards once said, the, the famous preacher of the past. He likened his reawakening to the gospel as a man who had known in his head that honey was sweet. But for the first time, had that sweetness burst alive in his mouth. It's one thing knowing in our heads, well, I believe that, again, that, that illustration that, man, honey is sweet. But if you've never tasted it, you don't truly know. You see, the gospel doesn't just save us. It should be the driving force for everything that we do and how we live our lives. And what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, and especially verse 27, that's what I want to hit on for just the next couple minutes this morning. We'll be done. But in verse number 27, look at that verse. It says, only let your conversation be as it becometh 
the gospel of Christ. First of all, a couple words I want to take note of. That word conversation. When we think of the word conversation, we almost immediately think of our talk. But that's not the implication here. Paul is going deeper than our talk or what we say. He's talking about our walk, how we live our lives. He's talking about conducting our lives in a way and in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In order to be an authentic biblical Christian, we must live an authentic biblical Christian life. The word becometh in the text means this, to fit, to be suitable, to be worthy. And here's what this whole message is about this morning. Here's the the driving truth. We must live our lives worthy of the gospel. We must live our lives worthy of the gospel. And the question I guess we have to ask is, is my life truly worthy of the gospel? Is my conversation more than my speech, but my life, is it becoming of Jesus Christ? This miniseries is about true identity. It's about discovering who we are and what matters. But listen, the gospel is not just entry-level Christianity. The gospel is the center of Christianity. I like what Tim Keller said on this. He said, we never get beyond the gospel in our Christian life to something more advanced. The gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths. Rather, it's more like the hum in the wheel of a truth. The gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but it is the way that we make all progress in the kingdom, that we grow in our faith. And the gospel is the answer to our problem, church. It's the answer in understanding our true identity. There are problems all around us, and that's nothing new. You think about the church at Corinth. It was a very, very wicked church with great division. People getting drunk left and right while taking communion. There was even a man that hooked up with his stepmom. I mean, it was a wicked church. It was a wicked culture. But Paul's remedy for that church was not that you need to go and protest. You know what his remedy was? The gospel. 1 Corinthians 15:1 he says, "Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel." Let me remind you is what he's saying. Let me remind you about the gospel. Because that's what's going to change your situation. That's what's going to change your path. That's what's going to help you understand who you are in Christ and and what I came to do. He said, "Moreover, brethren, or hey, remember, church, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye also received, and wherein ye stand. You see, we must stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, fixing sin with more sin is not going to solve the issue. And Paul told, told Corinth to not just receive the gospel, but to stand in the gospel. And what he's saying is this, and what I'm saying to you today is this, We must saturate ourselves in the gospel. It's like if you have a pool. To be saturated in the pool is to jump in the pool, right? You are saturated with all the water that is around you. To fully enjoy everything about the pool, it's not just, I'm going to lay out and tan. Okay, that's fine. 
But if you have a pool, you can lay out and tan without the pool. To enjoy the pool, you have to jump in the pool, right? You have to get in the pool, right, Marcus? He gets in every day. That's why he's so tan. You have to jump in. You have to saturate yourself. And to really understand who we are in Christ, we have to saturate ourselves with the gospel. We have to saturate ourselves with Jesus Christ. We have to jump in. You see, religion, listen, only tells you what to do. But the gospel gives you the power to do it. Growth in Christ is never going to go beyond the gospel, but it's going to go deeper into the gospel. So as I close this morning, where is your true identity? In a traditional identity, we have others that define us. In a modern identity, we allow ourselves to define us, but in a gospel identity, we allow Jesus to define us. And that's what it comes down to. And again, there's so much more that I want to hit on, but we'd be here for a lot longer if I hit on it. There's so much more that we will hit on in a series here in the next couple months about understanding more about what our gospel identity looks like and is. But here's the key truth. The Lord kind of gave me this the other day. Write it down, whatever, take note. We don't need more social equality. We need more gospel centrality. We don't need more social equality in our country. We need more gospel centrality because that is the issue. That is what's going to fix the problems in our world. When people understand who they are in Christ and forget about everyone else, let's talk about the church. Let's talk about Christians. Let's talk about men and women and children of the faith that have believed in Jesus Christ Fixing the world's problems is not about that social equality and coming together. No, it's about gospel centrality. It's about coming together and wrapping ourselves up in the message of the gospel, in the message of Jesus Christ. Understanding who he is and what he came to do and where our identity truly lies. We must, as Paul told the Corinthians, a very, very wicked church and very wicked culture. We must stand in, saturate ourselves in the gospel. And he gave him a simple solution. Hey, remember? Remember the gospel that I preached to you? Remember about who Jesus is and what he came to do and how he's given you the power to live your lives? Then go live it. You see, the gospel frees us from the burdens of trying to fit in with others, of trying to identify ourselves and 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 always changing because the culture is changing. With the gospel, there's no more burden. There's no more stress. But the stress that we have is because we are allowing our situations to dictate who we are and what we do and and the outcomes. You want to understand your true identity and, and the culture today? You want to understand your true identity? Then we have to work at being gospel-centric. We have to work at understanding that the gospel is more than just the entry level. It's more than just the saving of us and that's it. It's so much deeper. Look, the gospel has changed my life. In the past four and a half years, I've been the pastor here. 
The Lord has given me things that I'm starting to truly understand more and more every day. I'm a far cry from where I need to be, but I'm so far from where I was. I look back at my life and, you know, one of these books that I'm reading, it's funny. You know, the guy talks about this traditional church that he was he was raised in, and it was very similar to, to my upbringing. And I'm not, I'm not against anything like that. But the thing is, what we do in our churches sometimes is we, we force behavioral change. We're forcing you to conform to this standard, to wear these types of clothing, to listen to this type of music without ever addressing the heart of the issue, without ever addressing the heart. It's not about me changing you. It's about allowing Jesus Christ to do the changing. And that's one of the many things that I've realized in the past five plus years that when I allow Jesus Christ to change me and not a man, my life is so much better. When I saturate myself in the gospel message, do I still mess up? Yes, because I am human. (laughs) I fail consistently. It's like Paul said, the things I know I shouldn't do, those are the things I end up doing. Anyone with me? Yeah. But I'm constantly reminded of God's grace, and I'm constantly reminded of my need to continue to grow. Every single one of us here can still grow in the gospel, can still grow in an understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do and how he set us free. Don't you want to be set free? Isn't it better to be to live a a life that is free from bondage instead of a life that is wrapped up in bondage? Of course it is. But why do we keep wrapping ourselves up in bondage when he has already set us free? We don't need more social equality. We need more gospel centrality. Is your life, as Paul said, are you living a life that is worthy of the gospel? You know, we used to wear those bracelets in the 90s, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? Many of us had those, I had those, it was was fun, but really it was a good message of that's how we should be living our life every day, everything that we do. Would Jesus be pleased with this? Is this Christ honoring to him? Is how I'm living and how I'm acting and where I'm going, is it promoting the message of Jesus Christ? Is it advancing his kingdom Or is it diminishing his kingdom? Or is it promoting my own kingdom? Promoting my own agenda? Because as we've even hit on this year, I can't learn to lose control because I have to be in control of everything. But that's not a life that is living worthy of the gospel. And whether you're here today in the audience or you're watching at home online or driving or wherever you are, is your life worthy of the gospel? Are you living a life that is truly worthy of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if you're not, then it's time to right now start by focusing on who Jesus is and what he came to do. We would love to talk to you more about that. We would love to help you understand what a relationship with Jesus Christ looks like. Salvation is is just the first step of many. That process of discipleship is a ongoing, continual process. And I, I love, I think, what Dr. Paul Chappell says Discipleship is not the miracle of a moment. It's the process of a lifetime. It's a continual thing, and that's what we're working towards even in the next month or two of going more on a personal level to engage more of our corporate discipleship, to to really engage people to understand who they are in Christ and what Christ came to do. 
and how to live out their lives. So what kind of identity do you have today? I'm sure there are many Christians here that are struggling with that modern and traditional identity, looking to others to define them and validate them. It might even be your parent. Not saying parents are evil. But as I've said before, it doesn't matter if if a man gives you validation, if a woman gives you validation. What matters is who or what Christ thinks of you. And as a pastor, I, I, I say this not to, to just go off on other people or other preachers or even my parents, but it doesn't matter what others think of me. What matters is what Christ thinks of me. And if he is pleased with me, but some of us can't get beyond that. And we're always looking for approval of men. And in a sense, we are wrapping ourselves up. Maybe you're here today and you've been hurt by people in ministry and people in churches. Who cares? That's the past. Jesus Christ came to set you free. All you're doing is you're wrapping yourself up in that bondage. And you're not allowing your own self to live a thriving, abundant, joyful Christian life. Jesus said, I am come to bring you joy. I'm come, I, I've come to, 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 to make my joy abound in you. And we talked about thriving last year. He came to give us a thriving Christian life, but instead we are living a complacent Christian life. We are living a life that is not thriving because we are not allowing ourselves to thrive. The storms that come our way are not to just torment us, but they are to, to prune us, to purge us, to grow us, to learn from our mistakes, to learn from the mistakes of others. People are going to let you down. I will let you down if I haven't already. But if you're even looking for a pastor's validation, then you're looking in the wrong place. It's not about even what I think of you. It's about what Jesus says you are. So church, allow the gospel, allow Jesus Christ to define you.